welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Call to worship this morning is from Psalm 99, verses 1 through 5. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are holy. We look to you. We seek you. We desire you. Please forgive us even now as we're distracted by the things that have happened this past week or the things we're looking to uh, this coming week. But Lord, we, we need you right now. We need you to quiet our souls and our spirits within us. Help us to focus on you, to give you the worship you desire and that you alone deserve. Please bless us now, Lord, as we raise our voices in worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sweet. 
Van nou samen maar ik wil maar weer een verzoek doen, die gebedlijst wat Sharon voor ons uitsturen, dat ons het zal gebruiken om voor elkaar te bidden. Uh, ik denk ons het in Noorweg en ons moet het rechtig gebruiken, maar ze dank je voor Sharon daarvoor. Kom ze ons weer toe. Onze wonderlijke Jemelse Vader, ons dank je voor je liefde voor ons. Je hebt je liefde wat niet meer kan worden dan iets voor ons liefde tot die uitersoek. En al het ons elke keer in duizend monden, Heer, kan ons nooit in de waarde leven van Dank je, Heere, dat ons onszelf die kinders kan bid. Dank je dat ons in elkaar kan bid. Dank je dat ons kan bid, Heere, vir hulle wat in nood is, Heere. Daar is so baie wat in nood is. Ons bid, Heere, dat jy sal versien in elke ons in die hoofd. Ek wil bid, Heere, vir hulle wat syk is, dat jy ook vir hulle in hierdie tyd nabij sal wees en sal dra en sal versterken, dat hulle in hulle omstandig, Heere, nog hulle steeds hulle vreugde in jy sal vind. Ek wil bid, Heere, vir ons land, in die omstandighede in ons land. Heere, die getuie sal draai in ons land, dat daar vrede sal kom tussen ons as mens en as verskillende bevolkingsgroepe. En dit kan alleen die gebeur, Heere, as daar bekering kom. En daarom bid ek, Heere, dat daar rechtige leving in ons land sal kom. En dat mense hulle tot jy sal keer en vir jy sal soek en alles. Dankie dat ek vir ons gemeente kan bid, Heere. Ek wil bid, dat jy hierdie gemeente sal onderhoud dat ons die gemeente sal wees, en dat ons nie ons self op die skouwer sal klop, as die goeie dinge gebeur nie. Ons bid, Heere, dat jy vir ons sal versien. Ons bid, dat jy vir ons geestelik sal sterken, en sal wat groei. Maar ek bid ook, Heere, dat ons in getalle sal groei. Dat hulle wat jy kom besoek het, Heere, dat jy jy behoefte en laten sal plaas, om terug te kom na ons, om deel te word van hierdie familie. Heere, as ons hierdie dinge bid, dan bid ons dit, Heere, in jy naam en dat jy in alles vir jy hulle sal word. En nou bid ek ook, Heere, dat jy vir ons sal bystaan in die dienst vanmorgen, dat jy met brand sal wees, dat jy dier ons sal praat, dat jy in alles vir jy hulle sal word. En help vir ons, Heere, om te focus op dit wat jy vir ons sê, en dat ons dit deel van ons leven sal maak, tot eer van jy naam, dat ek dit amen. Stil, my soul be still, and do not fear, the winds of change may rage tomorrow, God is at your side, no longer dread, the fires of unexpected sorrow, God, you are my God, and I will trust in
text for this morning is Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at the end of that section in uh, chapter 2. We've been studying uh, in this uh, passage from verse 11, and we've seen there how that uh, God has revealed to the Gentiles, he's speaking to them in particular, that they have been brought together uh, with the Jews into the body of Christ, and that uh, they who had been so far from God have been brought near, not only to God, but to each other in uh, the body of Christ. And he said that these two have been made now one new man and one body in Christ. And so this morning, as we come to this, really a concluding section uh, to this uh, truth that Paul has been teaching, uh, I want us to ask the question, how, how do you view yourself in relationship to the church? If, uh, if you're a genuine believer, uh, you are a member of the one universal uh, church of Jesus Christ, but if we... If we think about the church, the church really only functions on the local level, the local uh, body of Christ. So as we think about our relationship to the church, we must think in terms of the local body of believers. Uh, and as Paul is writing, he's, he's writing to uh, 
churches in this region of Ephesus, and uh, he's admonishing them as they think about their relationships together in that body. So as we think about the church, we realize today that many people's minds, the church does have a place, but it's a, a very limited place. Uh, many times people think about uh, you know, the church as it relates to maybe attending on a, a special day, a religious day, like Christmas or Easter or something like that, maybe occasionally. It's a place to, to be married. It's a place to uh, have your child baptized, a, a place for a, um, a memorial service for the dead or something like that, but not really much more than that. It's certainly not central to their lives. But for us that um, know the Scripture, and we see in the Scripture that there's a completely different attitude about the church that God gives us and God's plan for us, for the local body. It's, it's not a place, but a people. It's the people that God has brought together. And it's the people that He has redeemed. And there's a He has closely bound us together for this unified purpose of our growth, God's glory, and for our influence in the world that we are in. God, God does, didn't intend for us to be disconnected from uh, one another, but that we together would live for Him. And in our, our modern day, uh, everything is uh, kind of influences us to be isolated, it seems like. We, we don't tend to think in terms of, uh, of how we can do things together or how we can encourage one another. We Sometimes by our own personality, sometimes by culture, just sometimes by our influences, we, we easily get, with, get isolated and withdrawn from one another. But God has had a different plan for us as believers, as his children, and he wants us to think in terms of community, in, in terms of body. And you see all these metaphors. And here in this last section, verses 19 to 22, He's going to show us the incredible position and privilege that we have together in the church. And so he gives us here in this last section three metaphors uh, to picture or to put a picture in our minds uh, about who we are as believers in our relationship to one another in the church. We are citizens of God's kingdom. We are members of God's family, and we are stones in God's temple. And so we, we have these. We see, we've seen already and mentioned in this passage the metaphor of the body that's often used uh, to refer to the, to the church. And now he's giving three more uh, metaphors. And then if you remember in chapter 5, he also gives there the, this imagery of the, the bride of Christ. And so we have these different different uh, images and metaphors. And one could ask, why, why all these different metaphors to describe the church? And Well, the simple answer would be one's just not enough to describe what God wants to say and wants us to think about. But it, it also shows us the, the purpose and place that God has given to the church. And he uh, wants us to see the importance that uh, the church has uh, for us. And, and it should be a, a place of 
prominence in our own thinking, not just, a, not just something that is um, kind of a tangent in our life, but uh, central to what God is wanting to do in and through us. So let's look first of all then at this first metaphor he mentions, that is that we are citizens of God's kingdom. You will notice there at the beginning of verse 19, he says, so then, and it alerts us to the reality that he's not just adding some additional information, but he's summing up what he's been saying uh, about our relationship together. And the first picture that he puts in our minds is that we are uh, citizens. We have a citizenship, and that we can recognize the importance even in our day of being a, having citizenship in a country. When you, when you go to visit another country, uh, you're, you're kind of made aware of the, the importance of that. And the f- first thing you do when you, get, when you go into the airport and you're, you go down through the, the different channels they put you through and you come to the, uh, the immigration and there's these two lines and there's one line that's it's fairly short. It says citizens. <laughs> and the other long line says foreigners. And you realize, okay, there's a distinction here. And citizenship does matter. But it mattered even more in Paul's day and the people that he was writing to. And you remember that Paul on more than one occasion used his Roman citizenship to his advantage because it had certain privileges and protections that he wouldn't have had otherwise. But the fact that he was born with a Roman citizenship that was uh, very valuable to him. And in this analogy, the Lord is writing to Gentiles who were like foreigners and aliens in uh, this religious world of the God of the Bible. And for the most part, they did not know anything about this revelation from God. They were, it was unknown to them. And he he writes about that, as you remember, verses 11 and 12, about how that they, they were foreigners to all of that and that they were without hope in the world because they were without God, without Christ. And he says, but now in Christ, they've been made citizens of God's kingdom. Together with all the other saints, uh, they were not just citizens of uh, a lower rank, but they were fellow citizens, he uses a word there that speaks of this, this citizenship that they have together with, with the others. And in, on more than one occasion, we are reminded that uh, we also are uh, citizens, not of this earth, but of heaven, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. In Philippians 3, he would, he would say, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll remember in the, at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, he talks about this new city, this new Jerusalem, this heavenly city. That, and he writes about that. Let me just read a couple of verses. Uh, in verse 10 and 11, he says, and this is talking about, John's talking about what happened to him, and he's recording. And he says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And its radiance was like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. 
A little bit later in verse 22, he says, And I saw no temple in that city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And then, he, and then he says in verse 27, But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, that is our future citizenship. That's our future home, the city of God, the new Jerusalem. But you'll notice that in this text, Paul's not talking about the future. He's talking about what we have now, talking about the present. He says, you are fellow citizens with the saints. So in a spiritual sense, God's kingdom is already present in his church. You and I, as members of the local body of Christ, are physical representatives of God's kingdom. And he, in Philippians 1, verse 27, would use a word, Paul does, that, that talks about the same kind of thing and our, our citizenship. He uses a word that, that literally means to live as a citizen. It doesn't always get translated um, in, in our English. It usually just says, you know, live. Uh, or it doesn't translate the citizenship idea because it's, it's kind of cumbersome. But Paul wanted to make the connection between their citizenship as a Roman colony, which was, was very important uh, in that day, and the privileges that that would have given to them, and the privileges that we have as believers. It's in Philippians 1.27, and, and I have for you here the, the New Living Translation because it, it reflects this emphasis that uh, Paul uses with this word. He says in verse 27, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And then he gives the application. He says, then, whatever or whenever I come and see you again, or whether I hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. And so you see there, Paul, in this verse in this context also is talking about the citizenship which we have and how that it should impact the way we live. He says, live in a manner worthy. And that would have been, that would have resonated with these people uh, from Philippi because they were privileged to be, to have the citizenship, uh, this Roman citizenship. And he, and, and so they lived with a certain amount of uh, pride, no doubt, and uh, enjoyed the privileges of that. And so Paul takes that concept in their minds and says, live like who you are as citizens of God's kingdom. And he admonishes them. And you'll notice in the last part of that, uh, in that verse, he talks about how that they together are to live in this way. He talks about standing together as one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you see this recognition of our position in Christ enables and encourages us uh, to put everything else into perspective about what's, what's happening in our lives and what's happening around us. We should not lose sight of the fact that we as the local body of believers are citizens in God's kingdom. 
we we have something or part of something that's greater than we are as as believers. Well, secondly, he moves immediately into um, the end of verse 19 to bring in another metaphor for the church, and that is the the fact that we're members of the family or the household of God. In Ephesians, uh, the end of of verse 19, he says that we are members of the household of God. And so this second picture or metaphor that he gives us, you see, is more intimate. It's more personal than a, a citizenship. You are a family. You're members of a, of a family. Not only did God redeem us out of the kingdom of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of light, he has gone beyond that to give us the full privileges of a son. We have a, we have a father. and He's brought us into this family together. He would write in Galatians 4, verse 6 and 7, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Uh, this is this is an incredible privilege that we have. And, and so he, he, he tells us that citizenship, because that communicates something, but now he's talking about a family. Because that communicates something else. It's the same, but it's it's a different aspect of the same fact that we together are bound up together in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have all these things in common, and they have a common purpose. This is one of the great promises from the Old Testament that God would be a father to His people, and Paul will. Uh, We'll teach about that. He quotes that verse from the Old Testament about, or one of the one of the verses. It's repeated several times in the Old Testament, but in two Corinthians chapter six, um, right at the end of the chapter six, verse eighteen, he says, "And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me," says the Lord Almighty. And so Paul reminds them of this promise from God, and he applies it to these believers. And then he makes the application in the next verse, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And so again, because of, of who we are and what we have in Christ, we are to live differently than the world lives. We're we're to live differently than if it were not true. But because of not only of what God has done in us, but what God is doing collectively in us. Uh, he wants us to, to think about that. He wants us to live in such a way uh, to reflect that uh, reality. We, uh, we represent his kingdom, but, but even more intimate and personal than that, we are part of his family, sons and daughters of the living God. Well, thirdly, he gives us this third picture or metaphor of the church, and that is that we are stones in the temple of God. Uh, let's read, read again from verse 20. He says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, this imagery of a temple would have uh, been, a, been even stronger for uh, these uh, recipients of the letter. They remember, well, of course, there's the Jews would have thought about the Old Testament temple, but uh, these Gentiles of Ephesus were, if you remember, in a, in a city that had this great Ephesus, this great temple of Artemis uh, there. It was by many considered to be the, the greatest of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, this temple of Artemis, and there would have been a great, there was a great pride in their minds related to this temple. It was, um, in their world, renowned, the temple of Artemis. You remember that when Paul is preaching there, and uh, the impact that he, that he was having, and the other believers were having for the the faith in God, and um, uh, it was Demetrius, uh, a silversmith, who was. Uh, was realizing that this preaching and teaching of these Christians was impacting his his business, and he got together with some of the other um, tradesmen and uh, stirred up a, a complaint and a, a turmoil among some people, and uh, even, there was a riot that broke out because they said that uh, not only is our our business going to be impacted, the great uh, God of uh, Artemis is going to lose his place, not only here, but in the world. And so the crowd got um, into a frenzy over that. And the Bible says that for two hours, they were all shouting, great is Artemis, great is Artemis of Ephesus. And um, so you can, you can see the importance of this idea of a temple in their minds. But these believers had rejected this Greek mythology all this false thinking. And they put their faith in the God of the Bible. And Paul reminds them that now collectively as the church, they are a holy temple in the Lord. And uh, we want to look at three things as the, the, the Bible Knowledge Commentary breaks down this, this last section into three points of, of emphasis. First of all, a foundation, and then a formation, and then function. So let's think about those in our last, uh, these last verses. First of all, he talks about the formation, uh, sorry, the foundation of this temple. And Paul writes there that uh, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so he's talking about uh, the foundational to the establishment of the church was the preaching and te teaching of the, the New Testament apostles and prophets. And you'll remember that the apostles were, were the disciples that had been with Jesus. They had seen the, the resurrected Lord, and they had been sent out by him. And, and so those, those were requirements for an apostle. And you remember that Paul was added to that number, and Paul describes himself as one born out of due season. He came later. But God had specially chosen him and given him a vision of the Lord, this bright light that appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And God would specially use Paul for the advancement of the gospel and particularly ministry to the Gentile peoples. 
And so those were the apostles that uh, God would use to give the revelation of his word. We have the New Testament gospel concerning Christ and the teachings to the churches. And then the, the New Testament prophets, they were like the Old Testament prophets. They were spokesmen for God. And God would give uh, special uh, revelation or direct revelation to them. And they would speak with authority. And they were given uh, special or uh, miraculous abilities like the, like the apostles to heal people and to, and to have signs that would authenticate that what they were saying was indeed from God. And this God did during this period while the word of God was being revealed and until the time when uh, the scriptures were, were given, the book of Revelation being the last of that revelation that God has given. And so we have this foundation. It's not, not he's saying that they were the foundation, but that what they were given through God, the teaching, the doctrine, is the foundation that the church is built upon. It's the, the church is the pillar and ground of truth. Uh, and, and he would say that, that Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. And Paul taught this also to, to the letter, in the letter to Corinthians. You remember in 1 Corinthians 3, that uh, section where he, he uses a similar analogy of a building also there talks about the church as a as a um, these church planters like Paul and Apollos they they were like uh, people who watered and planted and so he uses this uh, vineyard or planting analogy as well and how that uh, God gives the growth that, that they're just workers in the vineyard or workers in the field and then he comes and he immediately switches to this analogy of a building and, uh, and so you see him there doing a similar thing. And in verse chapter, this is 1 Corinthians 3, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. And then he warns, Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so you see, again, this analogy of uh, this structure, a building, and it has a foundation. And Paul is saying he was like a master builder who, who came and preached and taught the gospel. He, he laid this foundation, the foundation of the truth of Jesus Christ. And he's warning those that would come after him and would teach and add upon that the structure of the church, be careful how you build. And so he's warning those that would come with some other teaching or something that would be contrary to what had been laid in this foundation. And so uh, this foundation is the teaching of the gospel of Christ. And he says that Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. And so we have this, this whole structure of the church being joined together in Christ and it really points to the reality that there can be no unity apart from the unity of this foundation of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. His atoning death, his burial, his resurrection, there's just foundational truths in the scripture. And yet today many people in religious circles and church 
churches talk about unity and trying to promote unity, but they don't want to talk about doctrine. Uh, they, they just want to talk about love or some fuzzy feeling or some greater cause, and, and not that all of those causes are wrong. Many, many of the causes are good, and yet there can be no unity apart from this foundation of the doctrinal truth of who Christ is and what he taught. Again, remember Paul's words there where he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so that's the foundation that he's talking about that we have in common as believers. And then, and then the formation he, he talks about in verse 21 and 22, the formation of the temple, how it's brought together, this imagery of this uh, temple and how it's uh, being built. He says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Paul uses, uses uh, this analogy of how a builder would, would build, uh, how they would place the stones together. And Peter also would use this same analogy in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, as you come to him, a living stone, talking about coming to Jesus. And he's, I won't take time to, to look at that whole context, but he, he quotes Old Testament references to Jesus being the cornerstone that the builders would reject, and, and that, but God had chosen, and he was precious, and some would uh, stumble over him uh, because of, of what he taught and who he was. But he says in chapter 2, verse 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so Peter's drawing upon the truths from the Old Testament about the, the temple, uh, the, you know, the, the tabernacle that God gave instructions for and, I, and, the, and the, how that the priests functioned there and how that they brought, brought uh, uh, sacrifices in and, and made atonement there with the blood and the high priest would go in. And, and so he's drawing upon that analogy that now that we are like living stones, spiritual stones that are being brought together into this temple and he mixes with that the analogy, not only we're the temple, but we're also the, the priest. <laughs> we have a priestly function there. And so he's, he really mixes these ideas together. And if you were a grammarian, you'd say, no, you, you mustn't mix metaphors. But Paul doesn't seem to mind doing that at all because he wants us to see the different facets of what God is doing uh, in and through us and the truth that he wants to put in our minds. And so we are like the living stones that are being joined together and growing together into this spiritual dwelling place for God. If you look at this background image that I'm using this morning, you'll see that uh, this, is a, this is a picture, by the way, of the, of the Western Wall in Jerusalem. And you'll notice that those stones are not all the same. They're, um, they're all slightly unique and different. Uh, 
Uh, and each one would have been chiseled and hewn and, and shaped into uh, a certain uh, size and shape to fit together. They're not mass produced like, uh, you know, like bricks in a mold or something, but they are natural in a sense and, and, and chopped and cut. And, and we're not sure we know how some of the ancient builders did all that they did do. But uh, you can see this is, was a handiwork. And we also, as the church, are all different. We're like living stones in God's temple. And we are placed together by the working of God. And he continues this work in us. As we think about the local body. He's continuing to work in our lives, shaping us and placing us together for his purposes for his glory into this holy temple that belongs to him. And so as you look at the church, you, you, you realize that the thing that unifies us is not that we're all the same. <laughs> Reality is we're all different, aren't we? We're all, in many cases, very different. But we have the same Lord, the same Savior. We're all born from above by the, the same powerful working of the Spirit of God. We have the same Father. And God has placed us all together for his purpose. And so we must embrace that. We must embrace the purpose of God when we think about the local body and begin to think more collectively. Not what, not what can I get out of it or what can God do for me, but what, how does God want to use me collectively, in a sense, for the, the good of the whole purpose that he has in the local body. Well, that brings us to this last part. It's the function of the temple. And Paul doesn't elaborate here. He just introduces really the idea. And he says in verse 22, in him we, uh, sorry, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And he introduces here this incredible truth that God dwells in us and there's a twofold truth here he dwells in us individually because we are saved as individuals we don't, we don't have a collective born from above experience it's God working in us individually bringing us into himself convicting us of our sins we, we are saved as individuals and we have the spirit of God dwelling within us but God didn't intend us to leave us there individually He's brought us together by His Spirit to form a body that can function together. And He says that He dwells in us collectively also as a body. And so both of these truths are emphasized in Scripture that uh, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us and also collectively the Spirit of God dwells in us just like He did in the temple uh, from the Old Testament. That's where He met with them. And, and you see that also in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 6, uh, I won't uh, just quote, quote the verse there for you, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. And in that context, in chapter 6, if you remember, that he's admonishing us as believers to live godly, holy lives, separate from the sexual immorality that was common and is common today. And he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, 
And here, these, these are singular yous. It's not you all. He's talking about us individually. It's true for us all, but he's focusing in on you and you and you. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, uh, sorry, for you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Glory, so glorify God in your body. So there's the emphasis on the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God within us, and we have an individual responsibility for our conduct. But he also had earlier in chapter 3, in that same context that I quoted earlier about where he's talking about a building, there he's talking collectively. And the yous that he uses are plural. We don't always see it in English because it's still you. But if we're in the South, we would say you all. <laughs> or if you're in Afrikaans, it's seen, it says yalla. But he's writing there in the plural. And in, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17, do you, and there it's you all, don't you all know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And so now he's putting the focus on you together. We all together make up this temple. And he's using this analogy again. And the, the previous, in the previous verses is the warning that he gave, take heed how you build on this foundation. And so you see the connection here between that warning about coming in with some other teaching that's contrary to the revealed doctrine that had been laid down by the apostles and prophets with some other ideas, some other wisdom of man. And he says, don't you know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? And so he's given a warning to anyone that would, would destroy what God has built or try to destroy what God has built uh, by false teaching or some other method, or some other means, whether it's intentional or not, things that bring division and, 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 and divide what God has brought together, uh, God warns about. And so the, the practical application this morning, let me just mention some, some thoughts. And there's the verse that I was, uh, was making reference to there in 1 Corinthians 3 where he uh, talks about that we collectively are the temple of God. And so let's think about these, these three applications or three uh, truths here, three pictures that he puts in our minds about um, who we are. And think about some of the, the, the practical application. Uh, we've mentioned some already, but uh, just practically, one of the things that should stand out in our minds is that the, the church, the local church of God is important to God. He gives priority to it, and it should have priority in our minds, in our thinking. The fact that you're here this morning means that you agree with that, that you, you sense that importance of, of meeting together, uh, of living our lives as believers with this, with this reality of um, God's purpose that we together uh, live for him. And, uh, and so that impacts how we think and how we act. Uh, we, we shouldn't just think of ourselves in terms of our place uh, and what it does for us, but in terms of the whole body. Uh, we think about our Christian life in terms of the, the church, 
it changes. It changes how you think about church when you realize what how God views it. When you think about it, he thinks about us together and not selfishly or, or just for my own interest. And that's unfortunately the, the reality in many, many cases. We're, we're inclined to think selfishly. It's in our sinful natures to do so. We, we come in and and even, in, even on a Sunday morning when we come together or some other time we come together and uh, we, we think about, well, how does this help me? What does this do for me? Uh, well, it should help you and it should be an encouragement to you when we come together. But we need to think beyond our own interest and think about how can God use me? What, in what way can God use me to be any help or encouragement to someone else? What is my place? How do I fit into this temple? What is God doing in my life to, to fit me into this structure that he has planned? And, and one of the dangers is to think that um, my place is not as important or my role in the body or in the temple, use the temple imagery, is not as important as someone else's, but uh, that's not the case. From God's perspective, we are all important in his plan and he obviously has given importance to the preaching and teaching of his word, but there's more than that that happens in the church. And just the fact that you come in attendance is important. Faithfulness to, to support the, the local gatherings is important. That's an encouragement. It's encouragement to the pastor. It's encouragement to, to one another. And I think you realize that. You, you understand that. And, and so don't minimize your part. You may feel like, well, I just come in and sit and listen. I don't do anything. No, you do something every time you come. You're here. And you speak to one another. And just by your presence, it can be an encouragement to one another. Uh, just demonstrating God's love and grace is important. Uh, let it, letting others see what God's doing in your life. When, you're, when you go through the trials, you can still trust God. When you go through the high moments in your life, you, you can trust God. And, and the living of our lives is, impacts other people. And God wants us to share that. He wants others to see that in our lives as well. We, we have a part in giving to God's work. Uh, don't, don't minimize that part. There's practical needs that, uh, that you can have a part in. Uh, but if, you, but if you're not connected in some way, you won't know what those needs are. And you won't know how that you can help in those needs. You have skills, possibly practical skills that, that you could offer, that you could give. Uh, we, can, we can be an encouragement to one another in these practical ways. It's not all preaching and teaching, what I'm trying to say to you. But God wants us to function together in many practical ways, ways that we don't think would be important even if it's a word of encouragement, a practical counsel that we might give, whatever it is that, uh, that God would do, we, we are not going to do that unless we're thinking differently. If we only think about how, you know, how it helps me, I'm not going, God's not going to be able to use me in this collectiveness that he has designed. And so we need to allow God to change our thinking, help, ask him to help us to see how that we can, can help and be an encouragement to one another. Uh, you know, the giving of our time uh, to someone else. 
inviting someone over to for a coffee or meeting someone just to just to be an encouragement to them. They, they may not be exactly like we are, and that's the point. But by our nature, if you're honest, by our nature, we collect around ourselves people like us, <laughs> right? People that have the same interest or people that are the same age and people that uh, seem to click with us. But God wants us to think bigger than that. He wants us to think, how can I uh, be an encouragement to someone else? Uh, how can I uh, build, be part of the building process that God has designed? And obviously prayer uh, is a big part of that. And that could be a whole totally different sermon uh, or series of sermons on prayer. And the importance that God has given to prayer. That's a part that uh, you may never get uh, any praise for. Nobody will say, well, I really appreciate how that you pray for, uh, for the church. Pray for the pastor and pray for that person that was sick. Because they may not ever know about it, but God knows about it. And your prayer life is part of the structure that God has brought together. Uh, the bearing of burdens and, and many other things that you could think of that God is practically doing and wants to do in our lives. Uh, and so don't let personality, don't let the culture rob you Rob the church of what God wants to do uh, for us, the church, the local church that God is, is building. Uh, he, he wants it to function in such a way that we are helped, that God gets glory, and that we have an impact in the lost world around us. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for these truths this morning and uh, the things that you've communicated to us through these images, through these metaphors of a, of a kingdom, of a family, and Lord, of a temple, and, and others, Lord, other ways that you've communicated to us the importance that you've given to the church and how greatly blessed we are uh, to be part of um, a church that is standing upon the foundation of your word, who seeks to communicate that truth. Lord, help us, uh, we pray, and uh, we yield ourselves to you this morning, Father, that you would use us, you would place us in the structure as a, as a, as a wise builder would with stones, would select and, and chisel and work to build a structure. Father, we realize that you are doing that work through the Spirit of God, in our lives, and we yield to that this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we reflect on the truths from God's Word this morning, um, let's ask that uh, the Lord would align our thoughts and desires um, to His thoughts and desires, and that we'd be more like Him. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by His love and
See you. 